Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Jane Sollerson, investor, partner, and COO at Charter Senior Living. Based in Naperville, Illinois, Charter has 18 communities, with two more acquisitions and three development projects in the works. It's been a challenging year for Charter Senior Living, just as it has been for the rest of the senior living industry. COVID-19 has left a psychological toll on the company's workforce, and the operator has had to pivot its sales and marketing for the new pandemic age. But Charter is also preparing for growth in the months ahead, and Solerson says there are plenty of opportunities for savvy operators with strong corporate cultures. Before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Last year, we received more than 100 entries for consideration, and we're looking to celebrate even more unique projects this year, including both new development and rehabs that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits that description and you're looking to showcase it, visit shnawards.com. Submissions are currently open. The early bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31. Now, here's my interview with Jane Sollerson, investor, partner, and COO at Charter Senior Living. Jane Sollerson, thank you so much for joining me this morning on Transform. I wanted to start with the topic of the day, COVID-19. So obviously, this has been a challenging year for the senior living industry. Tell me about what Charter has done so far to mitigate the impact of COVID-19. Maybe list some of the biggest operational changes that you all have made this year. Yeah, it is. Uh, and thank you again for having me on. And I'm, I'm happy to share some information and some of the things that we've been doing. But, you know, I think the biggest challenge is if you really think about it and what we've done for COVID is, is a couple of things. One is from an operational standpoint, when we, when it first happened, we had to literally turn on a dime. So we immediately uh, transitioned a, a current associate who then became a procurement specialist whose total job was for three months, just really procuring PPE. And she's kind of stays on top of that now, so it's ongoing. It's not at the, the level that it was prior because now we have relationships of where to get PPE and we're constantly inundated with other options. So we feel pretty comfortable about that. The second thing we really had to do is how do we get all this information that's coming at you like a hurricane um, from all different avenues, local health agencies, the national, I mean, the, everything that all this information was just coming at you. So we basically said we got to put it all together and make it easy for our building. So we created a COVID binder, prepare binder immediately, got it out to all the communities and it had trainings and it had policies and procedures. But the bigger part was, you know, as things changed, right, we needed to make sure that the communities were alerted of the changes and make sure that they have documentation of the changes. So, you know, any type of operational change, we immediately just update our binders and send, send out an email that says replace pages. 10 through 15. So we can keep that on site for if any, the state comes in, we can pull out our COVID binder. We also have obviously a, 
an internal SharePoint where there's a portal for all the historical information and, and policies and procedures and any most recent policy procedures. Unbelievable extensive training and retraining on PPE use and infection control. Those are the big things that we immediately had to do and now continue to do. I think that one of the biggest challenges was the requirement of taking everyone's temperatures. You know, and some states it's three times a day, sometimes uh, some states it's two times a day, not only uh, for the residents, but also the associates. So that was uh, something that, you know, put a strain on a lot of buildings that we're not used to doing this. We were really lucky. We have a electronic medical record program platform that really pivoted really quickly and actually uh, changed some of their platforms so that as we were tracking temperatures for residents and oxygen levels, it actually helps trend it and will rise residents to the top that may be demonstrating or showing some type of trend. And I think that's a big thing when switching from a paper version where you really can't step back and say, well, Mrs. Jones over the last week showed a, you know an increase in, in temperatures for three days. So um, I think that really helped. And then, uh, obviously, cleaning and sanitizing. We purchased electrostatic cleaners for all our uh, communities. It gives us the ability to sanitize, obviously, larger um, spaces more efficiently. Um, I also think it gives a good um, um, representation to, as you're marketing, things you're putting in place to keep, you know, current residents and prospective residents safe. You know, we immediately, what we did when it came to move-ins, when everyone just started opening up for move-ins, is we created and we packaged it called transitional suites. You know, a lot of people were calling it COVID wings and, and or COVID, you know, beds. And, and, you know, the last thing I think any family wants to know is they're going into a COVID wing. So we packaged it up and we call them transitional suites and they're usually in a specific area in our, in our communities, depending on the footprint, that gives us the ability to kind of block off so that if someone moves in or a resident coming back from a skilled nursing goes into a transitional suite, everyone knows that's where, in fact, you know, you're using your, your PPE and, you know, if once they test negative and, and they're uh, back to normal, they just go back to their regular rooms or their permanent move-in. So... Uh, permanent residences. So it's been really, really um, received really uh, positively by the local market. I think the other thing is that we're doing is we're communicating really well. You know, whether they use the, they're using a platform that allows uh, the community to blast text messages out to employees, to family members, they can blast out voicemails. Some community, our communities are doing weekly conference calls, and it's ongoing. So it's not even if there's a positive in the community. They're just doing weekly conference calls. And I think it's really helped us as a company just better communicate with families. And I think families uh, really appreciate, appreciate it. And, you know, and then the last thing that we've really done, which is a little bit different, was we came up with a program, and I actually got this off the idea of the, the uh, consortium of operators that, that I'm on. It's just the old, if you see something, say something. And, you know, a lot of times residents or employees, they don't want to say something because they don't want to, you know, challenge another employee or the resident is afraid to say say something. But basically, we have a um, a confidential email or phone they can call confidentially. And if they feel like we're not 
you know, following proper social distancing or wearing masks appropriately. They have a vehicle to do it confidentially. And uh, our thought behind this was, you know what, we need to police ourselves. And I think it's been, uh, we just launched it probably about three weeks ago. It's going to all the families, all the residents. And we rather, to be honest with you, have someone call us directly versus call the state, you know, and that's the first thing that will happen if employees don't feel comfortable, they're going to call the state and say they're not following protocol. So we found it's, uh, we're going to continue to do that and market it so that, you know, we continually police ourselves. Yeah. You mentioned a few different interesting things there, Jane. I want to actually ask you about one of the things that you mentioned, the, the, the consortium. I definitely want to get to that. I've heard from a lot of operators during this time. You mentioned move-ins. I've heard a lot of operators mm-hmm. say that maintaining move-ins, I mean, that's obviously the key to staying afloat during this pandemic. Tell us how you've been able to maintain move-ins during all this. Also, how, have, how has occupancy held up over the past almost seven months now uh, since this pandemic started? Right. Well, our move-ins, we're not back to where we were prior to in terms of census, but for the past four months, we have seen very solid move-ins at our communities and actually had some pretty solid high move-in months for us. I really think uh, it goes down to what have you changed operationally, right? And, you know, from the move-in side, is really making sure you train and retrain your salespeople because they have to sell differently than they did before and they have to be confident, right, in what they're saying. So we made sure that, you know, the sales director has to know about infection control, which they really didn't have to know in the past, right? But they have to know what are you doing, how are we doing it, so that they can articulate that to a customer to help gain some confidence because that's one of the challenges is is people are fearful, right, about how safe is my mom in there. So we've had to, you know, retrain our salespeople. How do we create these virtual tours? Everyone went out um, and spent thousands and thousands of dollars on these fancy, you know, virtual tours that you click a button on the website. But I think it's a combination. You just can't have people go and click on a website and look like they're they're purchasing, you know, an apartment or or a a house. You know, it's got to be personalized. So our focus has been not just these, we don't even call them virtual tours if they're just going on a web, our website and looking at a, a tour of the community. We want personalized virtual consultations so that we're actually meeting with these people via Zoom or meeting in front of the, the building. And then we, we virtually tour them from another area, whether it's outside So that's been, um, from a sales perspective, you've really had to change what you do. Virtual events have become much more prevalent. Uh, We're doing mostly virtual events monthly at our communities, whether it's targeting professional referrals or targeting prospects. I think it's uh, really, really important. Uh, They just held, uh, our sales team just held a a company-wide virtual bingo game called the Bougie Bag, and they gave uh, they gave away uh, like uh, coach bags or whatever. But it was all geared towards the proceeds going to the Alzheimer's Association and professional referrals. Bought bingo cards, and it was really successful. We had over 120 professionals playing bingo, so you have to be creative to continue to get your name out there and at the top of the mind of the local referral sources. So 
from a sales perspective, it's been a complete change operationally how to, how to sell differently. You know, and then, you know, I was thinking about the question about, you know, what has been some of the operational changes. And, you know, I think the psychological impact has been so hard on buildings and managers and executive directors and associates. It has been a, a challenging time for them. I think executive directors are exhausted. It's been, been a long time for them. We feel like we can't let go of that employee and resident engagement. So operationally, we're continuing to focus on how do we keep people psychologically engaged because depending on how they're feeling can depend on how associates feel in a building. We just, uh, and I don't, uh, we just uh, went through a, a executive leadership training. All our senior team went on it. All our executive directors went on it called Courage Ignited. And it was uh, how, how to how to train in times of, uh, how to lead in times of crisis. And it was a six-week class. Executive directors absolutely loved it. It really helped them get their mindset in place. You know, basically, if you focus on what you don't want and, and focus on what you want, it changes the whole culture in a building. And I think in March and April, I think a lot of executive directors were focusing on what they don't want, right? I don't want COVID in my building. If you can focus on what you do want, right? I, I do want a full building. I do think that people need our help, and we're just going to find safe ways of, of helping seniors out in the market who need us. And changing that mindset, I think, really, really helped. I think it snapped a lot of people out of this kind of defensive mode into an offensive mode. And that's what we really, really focused on. Last month, Tim, we, we decided we had been planning a, an executive director summit for months. We kept postponing it. And uh, we decided, you know what, we're not canceling it. And we didn't want to do it virtually because I knew no one, half the people don't pay attention virtually. And we took a risk. We brought all our executive directors together in Chicago, you know, and obviously followed social distancing. Everyone was tested before they went in there. And I'll tell you, it was probably the best thing that we could, could have done. The executive directors just said, we needed this so bad. They wanted to talk to other people. They could have dinner with people. They could have a drink with someone. You know, they could just, you know, kind of empathize with each other. So for us, we just did it. And we're continuing to do that. And Kevin uh, Benema, you know, obviously the founder and uh, CEO, of charter. Um, Kevin and I have not stopped tra traveling. We, I started traveling back in April. We still go to all the buildings. We're very visible in the buildings. I think it's more important now than ever that we're visible and we're listening. And I think that has been uh, a real benefit to our culture and, and what our executive directors are, are seeing that, you know what, we're, we're coming in the, in the front lines just with you and we're helping you as, as best we can help you and listening to people. So it's been, a, well, it's been challenging. I think it's brought a lot of people closer together. And I think it's, you know, really allowed our, our executive directors to be a little bit more vulnerable. And that's what yeah. we want them to be, to say, we don't feel, you know, we're scared. And we can say, we don't blame you. We're all scared, but let's figure out why you're scared and how, how can we mitigate mitigate that so that yeah. you feel more confidence and, and comfortable in moving. Yeah. 
The mental health challenges you mentioned, that is something that I've heard across the board providers are struggling with. How do we keep our employees, you know, mentally sound during this? It's 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 a hard time and it, it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. I wanted to actually talk about the future. I, I, I'm curious to see, I'm curious to hear what 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 you all are gearing up for. So it's 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 almost October. Uh, probably when our listeners are uh, listening to the podcast, it will be October. So, uh, what is Charter gearing up for in the months ahead? Do you foresee a potentially challenging few months in the future, or are you optimistic that maybe with what we know about infection control now, plus maybe a vaccine whenever that comes, we might be able to start perhaps seeing the light at the end of this tunnel, so to speak? You know, um, I think you know. I believe. You know, again, it, it comes down to people feeling comfortable, right? And I think, you know, obviously we're gearing up for the flu season, making sure everyone gets flu shots like we typically do. I do feel like this has forced every provider to look at their infection control protocols. I think the ability to react quickly, um, we all learn to do that faster. So, you know... My feeling is, and this is just my my feeling, is is it going to be challenging? Probably. We have we always have a challenging last quarter, right? With, with holidays and the winter and flu, and I really think it's it comes down to staying ahead of it, the best you can stay ahead of it. And now's the time that you know we really have to put our foot on the gas even more to build our pipeline of of prospects and continue to, to not just focus on, you know, hot leads, because that's what everyone focuses on, right? The, the crisis move-in. And right now, we need to be focusing not only on the crisis move-in, but really building our pipeline of maybe the people that aren't ready today may be ready in a month from now. And that's always your incremental extra sales. So that's, you know, we focus on that anyway with our with our sales culture. So I, I think um, it's going to be challenging, but I think, you know, again, it all comes down to what are you focusing on, right? It goes back to the Courage Ignited training we, we all took, we, we had all taken. What you focus on is, is what you find. And, you know, I'm going to try not to go down that path. You know, if we have a flu outbreak, you know, we're going to respond like we would normally do a flu outbreak. I think the challenge is going to be is how do you differentiate? Is it the flu? Is it COVID? Is it a cold? And, you know, it's interesting. I was watching something on, on the Today Show the other morning, and the doctor was trying to explain the differences of, you know, the difference between the COVID and the flu and a cold. And even when he was explaining, it was confusing. So I think that's going to be a real challenge of people will think it's COVID when it's really not. So the sooner we can get some tests in that allows us to, you know, test and get immediate, you know, responses to, nope, that's flu, you know, oh, nope, you have, you have COVID. So yeah. I think that's, that's going to be the key because I think it will cause more panic as soon as the first flu outbreak happens. Right. I want to actually talk about testing. That's something we haven't gotten to yet. And it's, I think, so important right now. How is your COVID-19 strategy, your COVID-19 testing strategy going? I remember, I seem to remember that you all had relied on, uh, for at least for new move-ins, a double negative testing mm-hmm. strategy. But tell me sort of how, how you're thinking about testing now. You know, are you thinking about baseline testing of everyone or do you think that it's more testing them as they move in? And then also, I'm just curious, like, 
What are you seeing there in terms of a testing availability? I've heard that still, even today, for, for some providers, getting tests can be challenging unless you have a private lab partner that can help or some of the, one of these other partnerships right. know, getting these right. processed. So anyway, what are you seeing with testing and what do you think is the way forward there? You know, we were really, really lucky that we built a relationship with uh, a lab, a national lab company back in April. So we had testing and available to all our communities on site back in April. We've been obviously testing, you know, new new residents when they come in. We're testing all employees before they can, you know, get on the floor or start, I should say. It's been, um, we've been, you know, and I just want to say knock on wood if I had something to knock on right now. We've had this good relationship. Once in a while, we'll see a little bit delay in getting the results back. But you know, for the most part, we're getting results back in a couple of days at the, at the longest. So that's one thing. And, and we are testing some rapid tests right now. But again, I, I, I'm not totally comfortable that, the, that they're accurate. So we have uh, yeah. one, one company we're testing right now. And, you know, you have to wait till you have someone who's positive so we can then test it with, with this other test and see it, how accurate it is. And then we did sign up with the, the Abbott Lab, their rapid testing program. So we're going to see how that goes. They're much more affordable. So I know that the Abbott started sending out. You have to sign up on a portal, um, but they're starting to send out uh, the tests. So we'll uh, see how those go. But we're taking every state very specifically. What is the state requiring us to do? If we do have a positive outbreak, uh, let's say uh, an employee tested positive, we immediately test all employees and all residents right there. So we know if it's spread in any way. So uh, I think, you know, one thing that I we've really learned from all this is is how do we, you know, quickly respond when there's an outbreak or a potential outbreak. And, you know, what we've seen over time is, you know, you see a little spark come up and it, uh, an employee test positive, but we've, we're able to get in there, deploy our policies, handle it right away, and, and really just, uh, you know, eliminate that little spark so it doesn't become into a forest fire. So we've been really, I think it's just learning over time that what has worked and, you know, we're pretty quick now. If we hear one positive, it just goes through a whole process. The, the field team re- reacts, you know, very quickly, testing gets put in place, communication gets to family members, and, you know, we've been able to mitigate, you know, potential spreads in our communities, which has been really, really helpful. But I, I we need the rapid test. We need mm-hmm. accurate, reliable rapid tests. That's going to, it all comes down to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jane, I, I want to switch topics here. Uh, we, we could talk about testing for a very long time, I'm sure, but I want to talk <laughs> about I want to talk about growth because I think it, that that that's a very interesting topic right now, and it, it seems like obviously growth plans across the industry are are at least more challenging than they were earlier this year. So, how has COVID nineteen affected Charter's growth plans? I know you all are continuing to grow, so. Tell me sort of what's on the horizon and how this period has influenced how you think about growing a senior living company right now. Well, you know what? I, I don't think we've changed the way of growing charter. I mean, I don't think we've, you know, consciously said, are we going to change our growth based on COVID? What we're finding is 
there's actually a lot of opportunity out there. We're getting calls every day to look at opportunities to take over management and operations of challenged buildings. And I think it comes down to, you know, uh, the current, you know, owners or REITs or, you know, whoever is, is owning the, the, the property, a private equity or just a, a one-off, if they don't see their current operator rebounding or seeing any, you know, light at the end of the tunnel of there's some growth happening, they're questioning the ability for this operator to continue operating. And so we've been, you know, approached multiple times. I think um, we took over a building right smack in the middle of the pandemic. You know, we, we actually were, we were consulting with them in March and April, which we couldn't really get in there and took over official operations in May. We had to think smarter and different on how to transition a community with all the parameters set in, in place, right? Not being allowed to go in the building and, you know, the fear that, that occurred. So I think um, from that perspective, we actually are taking on two, two new communities uh, on December 1st. These are with existing partners that, that we already operate uh, buildings for. I think, you know, one of the things that this really helped us was we learned during this whole pandemic to communicate better and even communicate better with our partners, right? Our owners. Um, and because we've enhanced our communication with our owners and we, you know, we'll tell them the good, the bad, the ugly sometimes, I think it's really helped build our, our strength and relationships with some of our current owner groups that we work with. So we're actually, uh, like I said, taking two new communities. We've turned down some opportunities if we didn't feel like they kind of fit the charter culture or, you know, would be an added value to charter as a whole. Developments, we continue to work with our, our developers and our development pipeline. You know, we, we opened up a, we're opening up our community in Huntsville in January. We have two shovels in the ground right now. And then we have a, a you know, a whole portfolio and pipeline, other development deals, DMK, which is what the owner and a developer of the Huntsville property. Just over a couple of years of building a relationship with them, they've asked us to to be their operator for a pipeline of development. So they have three in the pipeline right now. Super, really excited about this relationship. Um, and uh, uh, DMK, they have identified some just really incredible tertiary markets where um, not oversaturated, have the ability to be the new guy in town and price price aggressively that we don't have to be the highest in the market, but we feel like we could be the best in the market. So very excited about that. And then uh, we have another uh, relationship with a company out of New England called Kind Care, and they have a pipeline in the New England market. Their their first one is in Connecticut. And these are more of, quote, affordable senior living. And I don't want to say affordable as in Medicaid. It's uh, this is middle, it, middle market type stuff, right? Yeah, middle market. They found great, uh, you know, markets where it's, they get good tax credits, which allows, you know, us to, you know, operate more efficiently. It's going to be the middle market that's people that can't really afford. And, you know, the middle market in, in New England is probably, you know, the high market in Tennessee. 
So it's an right. interesting, when you look at it, it's, it's when you say oh, that's middle market, but you know, compared to St. Louis, it's probably high. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we're pretty excited about that. That gets us into New England and continue to help grow our, our footprint on the on the East Coast and Midwest. So yeah. we're excited about it. And, and I think um, developers, I think developers got a little scared at the beginning. I think some of the investment people, you know, some of the investors got nervous, but I think people are rebounding now. And, and I, I really believe that you know, people still need us, whether whether they are scared to move in, but they still need us. And I think even more, even for independent living where, where it's not need-driven, but what most seniors are experiencing at home right now is isolation. Many of them aren't going to uh, restaurants. They're not going to supermarkets. They're seeing limited people on a daily basis. You know, their family members don't want to come in because they don't want to infect them. So if anything, independent living needs you even more, you know, where they can be in an environment that they're not totally socially isolated. So I'm confident about, you know, is it different? Yes. Do we have to operate different? Yes. Do we have to sell differently? Yes. But the 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 companies that can keep the culture going and can really teach salespeople how to sell differently and how to build a connection with people that you you can't build face to face a lot of times, right? Because you can't get in front of them. So you know it's it's going to be a, an exciting time. I see it as an exciting time, a challenging time, but an exciting ch- time. And and I think the companies that are able to pivot and change quickly will be the winners in all this. I think the bigger you get, the harder it uh, harder it gets to make a change in a policy or procedure and it and go through multiple layers of people. And that's the challenge you run into. We have such a flat organization that you know, it's going directly to these buildings. They're hearing about it. And we're able to pivot quick, move, let's, let's, we need to do this. So I think it's been helpful for us having kind of our infrastructure, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Jane, we're, we're coming up on the end of our time here. I have, I have one or two more questions for you. And don't forget, I want to talk to you about this consortium we, we mentioned way earlier okay. in our interview today. Before we do that, though, this is actually what we're talking about. I want to go a little bit deeper into this. How do you sense the pandemic has changed the way older adults are thinking about senior living? I've talked with some providers who have told me that they think now more than ever, the older adults, especially these baby boomers that are now coming into this industry, they're starting to value safety and security much more with this pandemic. I mean, obviously, if they get sick, they want to know that they're going to be at a place where they are cared for. But I'm curious to hear, what are you seeing in terms of how older adults are thinking about senior living now that there is this COVID-19 pandemic in the background? Yeah, I mean, I think number one is they, they want to feel comfortable that they're going to move into a place that has the infrastructure in place to keep them safe. Number one, I mean, people do ask questions like, how do you socially isolate? I mean, a socially distance, right? In your current communities. So I think that's the main thing that you hear a lot about and, you know, the safety part of it. I think the second thing that's been really impactful with, with the older adults and it's really more with the adult children is the ability to visit 
their loved ones. That's probably the biggest objection you hear um, currently is I don't want to move my mom in and never get to really visit her or I have to visit her, you know, through a window, right? Or, you know, through Zoom. And that's a big thing that you have to be able to overcome right now. And having the ability to have safe visits, it may be a little more structured than it was uh, in the past, but having, you know, the ability to have a location in the building where they could have, you know, scheduled visits, but they have the opportunity to actually, you know, spend time with with their loved ones. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I see in terms of the perception of, of senior living. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of the last last topic here, last question for you, Jane. Earlier in the call, we had mentioned this consortium. To give our listeners at home a little bit of background, before the call started, Jane and I had talked a little bit about how there was a call of some other operations folks in this in this industry uh, to talk about you know some of the issues of the day and learn from each other. So tell us more about this consortium that you're a part of. I know that Lori Alford at Avanti Senior Living is part of this too. And just generally talk about how this has helped you as, you know, all this has gone on, as, as all these challenges have mounted. You know, it has been probably one of the best things that has helped me personally go through this and as well as, you know, operationally for Charter. Uh, I think there's 11 operators total on this consortium, um, all smaller operators, you know, ranging from five buildings to maybe 20 buildings or 25 buildings. And uh, it was in addition to the typical calls that we were all having with Argentum or Asha, which were very knowledgeable, but eventually, you know, you started hearing the same things. And this consortium just allows us to really talk about some of the heavier things that are happening Besides just, you know, infection control or, you know, you know, what are you, what equipment are you buying? So we have a weekly call every Tuesday. Um, I think the part that I love is there's no egos involved. I think everyone is open to sharing information with each other, what they're finding, uh, research they're finding. So there's a lot of communication that goes on even off those calls to say, hey, I saw this, thought you would be interested in this. So it has been absolutely wonderful from a psychological standpoint. You know, we all went through it, whether, you know, you're the CEO, the COO, you know, a manager or an associate, we're all going through it in, in different forms. And no one back in April really knew what to do, right? We were all reacting and talking to each other saying, do we think this is the best option to go in. So I learned so much. I continue to learn so much. Um, I've got some incredible ideas that that I got off of these calls. And we're going to continue. I, I have a suspicion that despite whether, you know, COVID's here or not, and there's a vaccine at some point, I have a, a suspicion that we'll continue to do this. It, it's, it's helped strengthen us all and, uh, you know, address the psychological challenges we all go through and our communities are going through and then address the clinical issues and um, and, and the operational issues. So it's uh, I, I want to thank Laurie personally because she's the one that kind of pulled it all together and talked to a, a group of different operators and said, do you want to be part of this? And, and it's been pretty consistent since the start. So big thank you to Laurie. Well, 
Jane, I, I know that we could spend a lot more time talking about all the different topics we mentioned on the phone today, but unfortunately that's uh, going to do it for the time that we have together. I just want to thank you, though, for coming on Transform. Again, I think that we covered a lot of ground and I think we learned a lot today. So, Jane, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tim. That concludes this episode of Transform. Don't forget to check out the SHN Architecture and Design Awards at shnawards.com. Submissions are currently open. The early bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.